This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams, back in the hot seat this week after a week away. Uh, Guy Clark, usual solid standing. Um, Dave Hughes was there last week, he's back again this week. Dave, how's things, mate? Yeah, mate, uh, fine. You know, just doing a reliable job in your absence. Uh, but good to have you back. I actually uh, I sent Guy a message during the week, actually, because he referenced me as the uh, the AA godfather, which I thought was nice. <laughs> That's now written on my CV, actually. So, uh, yeah, I was happy with that. Um, but Liverpool have had a good week. I'm not sure particularly how you and Guy previewed both of the games. I caught some of the podcast, but not all of it. Um, but Liverpool have had a good week. Two wins on the back of Leeds and AC Milan. I'm sure it was a decent decent week to preview, Dave. Obviously, we haven't, I haven't personally spoke about the Champions League yet on the show. Liverpool's draw and all that sort of stuff. But before we get to your, Liverpool's European exploits... We'll have to talk about Leeds. Um, what did you preview out of interest? Um, in terms of scorelines and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, did 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 more than back Liverpool to get a victory um, because touched on the fact that you know for for Leeds is kind of um, renowned ability to be such a difficult side to overcome. Um, it, that the way they play seems to be a lot more effective against the lesser sides than the better sides. Um, you know the record in the Premier League last season pretty much confirmed that. I think it was about one win in one win against the top eight, something or very few wins against the top eight last season, but hundred percent record against the bottom six. Um, and I also talk about the fact that you know if it did come to a bit of a shootout, Liverpool tend to do pretty well in these. Reference the the. the the game in Anfield last season, where it was four three Liverpool. Uh, it was a Salzburg game the year before. You know, Liverpool just tend to come on top when it gets a little bit chaotic like that. But uh, I thought, to be honest with you, um, Liverpool managed this game really well. Uh, it was a really, really good performance. Um, and Leeds struggled, in my opinion, anyway. And it was a, it was a. I know it was overshadowed a little bit, which we'll probably touch on in a, little, in a short while. But on the whole, I just thought it was a really good performance and a good victory. Yeah, I agree. I think it was. Um, I, I expected Liverpool to cause major problems for Leeds, just because I think the couple of times we've played them now since they achieved promotion, Liverpool have just played exactly how you need to play to cause that man marking system problems and things. And we did it away from home last season in particular. And they really struggled, I thought, with, with coping with Liverpool, particularly for a specific, I think it might have been like a half-hour period. But obviously, I think we ended up drawing two all. And the reason we ended up drawing two all, really, was because we, despite the performance level in like the middle of the field and things like that, we, we just didn't have that edge in both boxes, particularly our own box. We conceded late to a set piece, I think, which Van Dijk would, I'm sure, usually get his, his head on. And uh, at the other end, Liverpool just weren't the clinical selves at that period of the season, I think. This time around, Liverpool played, I thought, roughly in the same way. Um, but it's just it just makes such a difference when at one end of the field, you, you're, you're actually firing in terms of finding the net. 
and at the other end of the field, you've just got that kind of just above average safety net when it comes to Van Dyke, Massup, and Allison, and just you know blocking shots, making above average saves, getting in the way of of opponents who seem to be clear through. Just that kind of Liverpool's performances are always really really strong, but when you've got that elite ability in defence and in attack. As I said, it just provides that additional bit of compensation when it comes to getting a result, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the the the, the big flaw with the Leeds system is you've already touched on it, the man mark and stuff, but individual versus individual. Obviously, uh, Liverpool have a much better side, so do most of the top teams, which is why it, it becomes a little bit easier thing to to win those battles and then obviously come out on top on the day. Um, maybe you think of players like, what's a good example, Matip. You know, Matip started the season really well, hasn't he? Um, and his capacity to step out of the fence and carry the ball, um, you know, it's just quite an easy way that you can penetrate through the lines there when, you, when you're facing that kind of that kind of setup. I uh, thought he'd done it really well. In fact, when whilst you're talking in a sec, I'll be interested to see where does it, his progressive runs were in that game compared to say you know previous matches? Um, but yeah, just I think it works so well, and uh, you know Leeds did have some chances, but again it goes back to what you were just saying there. It's, uh, you know they had a chance in I think it was the first half where Allison kind of makes it look like a routine save from a shot inside the box. I can't remember who took the shot, um, but it was from a decent location really, and I, I think maybe you've got Adrian in there. It could be a little bit tougher. Um, could potentially lead to a goal. Goals change games, of course, but Allison pulls off a decent save. And they're just the small details that I think the pool were missing in big periods last season, you know, when Van Dyke was out, when Allison was out. Um, but they have it now. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in each game Liverpool have played against Leeds, but particularly at Ellen Road now twice, um, they, they, they have just shown that. When you're facing a man marking system, obviously they, they take up a man marking type defence, which is quite unique, really, in the modern day. Liverpool are the opposite. Liverpool are a zonal defensive system. And I'm not talking from set pieces here. I'm talking just an open play in general. Very few sides now at the top of the game execute a man marking side um, all over the pitch. You know, Atalanta comes to mind, Leeds. I'm sure there's a few others, but not not too many come to mind, really. Um, and obviously Liverpool wiped the floor with Atalanta last season away from home. And they've kind of done it again with Leeds. And it's just about, because of this man-marking scheme, we, we, Klopp seems to allow his players more positional freedom than, than usual, really, just to kind of interchange to the extent that Leeds just become so disorganised, who's picking up who, who are, you know, and, and things like that. And that's where, as you say, Massive comes in. Because um, his ability to, to step in and almost, you know, if, if he's the free player, rather than being the kind of basic and limited player on the ball who's just going to be free on the ball, but just going to pass it sideways, going to be predictable on the ball. Massive instead, when he when he's the free player, he will commit one of his opponents by just driving forward and forward and forward as far as you will allow him. Until he gets pressurised, and then by by him getting pressurised because of Leeds' man marking scheme, that usually results in one of our players then getting free. So for Matip to get pressed, 
a player might have to leave Salah, for example, and then you can give the ball to Salah. So, Man mm-hmm. just really good at enticing opponents, basically, into pressing. And if you look yeah. at his progressive carries, Dave, it was highlighted by a few people, I think, after the game on Twitter, but over the, over the course of 90 minutes, he completed 13 progressive carries. Uh, Liverpool's second best was on eight. Um, and in terms of the progressive distance that he covered in yards, he covered 350 yards, um, which again is very high compared to the second best player, which again is Mane on 158 yards. So Mass upon his own covered more distance progressively with the ball at his feet than any other Liverpool player on the pitch to the extent that his amount was double the second best player. Um, and as you say, he's had a great start of the season. I thought he was great against Milan, particularly on the ball though. Um, very, very underrated centre-back, I think, Dave. Yeah, well, I think he's he, he, he's he's highly rated when he's available. It just goes back to that thing when he's not. But um, I'm I, just mean, glad, I mean, particularly in other, other circles, though, outside Liverpool. He doesn't oh, seem okay. to get talked up at all. And, uh, you know, you see these combined 11s and things like that. And Matsup's always... He's just never talked about it, in my opinion. Like, I mean, might be different to, uh, in Liverpool's fan base, but... I think beyond that, I'm not sure what Everton's fan base, for example, thinks of him and things, but I always think he's he's not talked about enough as, as a real top, top centre-back and one that we got for free as well. Mm, yeah. I've just quickly had a look, by the way. I, I assume you were using FB's numbers there, so I just had a look, just see what Scout had, because I think you can get a quicker overview of the last time he was so kind of penetrative with those runs. And I think the last, the last time he made more than what he made against... Um, Leeds was against Everton in June 20. Now, obviously, he's missed a few games in that time, but you know, you're looking over 12 months since he, he, he was able to kind of exploit the team as much as he did there. Um, but yeah, it's, going back to the original point, that just he, he's kind of perfect in that situation because he does create so many openings. And I think there was, you know, if you look at the way United have kind of disposed of Leeds uh, a couple of times, really, obviously, started this season and last season, they. They were using more players like, um, you know, deeper line midfielders. I remember McTominay, especially last year, having a bit of a field day, making making runs from deep. Um, so that's the vulnerability with Leeds. And I just thought Liverpool exposed it really well. And um, it, it could have, on paper, been a really tricky game. You know, the atmosphere was really good, wasn't it, at the start? But it was just well managed by, uh, by Liverpool and really good results. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the numbers in particular were very much in Liverpool's favour during the match. Liverpool took uh, 30 shots, I think it was. Hang on, let me just get it up. Yeah, 30 shots <laughs> to nine. Um, that is a serious amount, 30 shots. For a bit of perspective on that, I think I double-checked. The last time Liverpool took that amount was, funny enough, against Manchester United. Um, but it was at Anfield, and I think it was when... Shakiri scored the late two and Liverpool won 3-1. Yeah, was that just yeah. before Mourinho got, got sacked? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but in terms of... But obviously a big difference between those two games and I've just mentioned is this this one's away from home. So mm-hmm. since Klopp took charge, I think it is, that, that that's the most shots Liverpool have, have ever had under Klopp away from home. Um, which I think just, you know, captures the dominance that we witnessed of Liverpool on the day and Obviously, we found on it three times. 
could have been more. And it certainly could have been more, Dave, for, for one player in particular. Sadio Mane took, a, took 10, 10 shots himself. So a third of Liverpool's total shots came through Mane. And obviously in typical Sadio Mane form, I think for the past year, he scored with his 10th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I mean, I suppose it's two ways looking at it, isn't it? A player taking 10 shots, never a bad thing, is it? No, without doubt. You know, when you know that someone is an elite finisher, okay, it it didn't seem it on the day, but um, the age-old thing, getting into really good positions, being dangerous. I think if you if you go back and watch the game and look at things like his, his movements, you know, Leeds just couldn't handle it. He, look, he looks so sharp at the moment. Um, if some of the finish was a little bit unlucky as well, to be honest. I think on another day, he, he gets potentially two or three there. Um, but, you know, he, he does look really sharp this year and one of those players that seems to be benefiting from a break and you're probably going to see the best version of, of him again. Um, obviously, we all, we, we all know because it's it's been kind of splattered everywhere that he's had the most shots in the Premier League so far this season and, and it's not really a su- surprise, to be honest. Yeah, so far he's had 23. Um, that is six more than second-placed Michel Antonio and Salah in third place on 15, Bruno in fourth place on 14. So, you know, Mane on 23. So, if he, if he continues like that, he's probably going to end up with a fair amount of goals this season. I think he's maybe benefiting from the the triangles that Liverpool seems to be using, particularly on the right side of the pitch. Seems to be attracting players over there, you know, Trent and Salah and things. Um, and then once the ball kind of gets switched to the opposite flank or, or inside the box really quickly, Mane's there to capitalise like he did the other week when... Um, the ball was switched to Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott played to Trent. I think it was against Burnley. Trent played one over the corner. And Manny scored with kind of a half volley type thing. Um, just a little bit on, on that Leeds thing as well. In terms of progressive carries and stuff. I've just looked back at the the, the last time Liverpool played at Alton Road. It was it was one all, not 2-2. Two, two. Um, but Ozan Kabak, for example, finished third on that day for progressive carries with five. And he also attempted five dribbles. Um, now, I highly doubt in any of the other games that Liverpool played, Kabak posted numbers like that. And I think, again, it was just, it's just highlights a very specific ploy, very specific tactic that Liverpool seem to use whenever they play Leeds and whenever, whenever they play this man marking scheme, basically. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, another player that got. Highlighted on the day was Thiago Dave. Mm. He has come into the f- come into the fray a little bit more lately. Um, obviously played some minutes against AC Milan and started against Leeds. But again, another little play against Leeds. Klopp seems to play players who are basically good dribblers and got on good one v one and things like that. And Thiago was obviously that. Yeah, yeah. If you kind of think Leeds. Uh... High octane pressing side, you know, get in your face type thing. So you you really want someone who's calm and composed on the ball, you know, quite press resistance can get get himself out of trouble. And Thiago is that person, isn't he? Really. And then when you throw in the fact he's then got the ability to to play these really good passes, uh, passes that we don't always see even from you know watching the game on the TV. Uh, he seems just to have an eye for it, and that is just such an underrated uh, talent because. You know, if you've ever played football, you know the picture is is so much more complex and difficult when you're actually out there playing. You know, involved in the game. 
but he just sees these things that are just you know really acute passes and I think it was it, it was maybe a good opportunity for them to to sound the doubters a little bit that game you know because a pupil he was getting written off again I don't know if you saw that Josh you were away last week but not you know not everywhere but just sometimes I was uh, scrolling through the timeline on social media then there was a few pieces popping up again kind of writing them off um when he hadn't really played and I think people were looking into the fact that he hadn't played as a as a sign of his lack of success really uh as if he couldn't get into the team but I just don't think the the natural window of opportunity had come yet had it we've still only a couple of games into the season and then obviously this was a good opportunity for him to come back into the side and he uh, and he done well and you know if uh, if people only want to analyze these midfielders on assists he got one of them yeah yeah he did <laughs> I mean, so far this season, again, it is early days, but he does look like a lot less of a, a problem, basically. I wouldn't say he was ever really much of an issue anyway. Um, but obviously last season he had some issues when it comes to fouling. I don't think he's been anywhere near that level so far. Um, yeah, last season he was committing... I'm just looking at his numbers now. Last season, In fact, funny enough, out of all the games he played last season, the game he committed the most fouls in was against Leeds away. Um, mm. Five in that game. I'll I'll check in a sec how much he committed, how many he committed in, in, in this game this season. But it was nowhere near five, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that. Um, <laughs> really? I just, yeah, I've just checked Kabak's numbers as well, just going back to what I've just referenced in terms of his progressive carries. And his number of five against Leeds last season was bettered only twice all season by him. And that's including his Bundesliga time. Uh, sorry, bettered only once. That was against Werder Bremen for Schalke. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it, certainly these little these little effective ploys, Dave, that seem to be particularly useful when you're playing Leeds. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, it, the thing is with Leeds, it, it can be a tough fixture for a lot of teams, but I do think the best, uh, the best sides in the league tend to be able to cope with it quite well. Uh, I'm trying... The only high-profile win I think they've had since they come back up, didn't they beat City um, maybe late last year at the Etihad? I might double-check that, but so I think beyond that, most results have gone against them. Um, but that doesn't mean that's a given, you know, because it's still a really difficult place to go. I thought, you know, they were going to be especially motivated being back in front of the crowd for only the second time since they come back in the Premier League. They hadn't got a victory yet. Uh, well, they still haven't, but they hadn't won, I thought. It, it did have the makings, potentially, of banana skin in parts, but um, but tactically, Liverpool got spot on and it proved to be quite a, a a decent or easy afternoon. Yeah. I mean, I've just checked Thiago's numbers, his foul on numbers so far this season. He played 10 minutes against Burnley, 17 minutes against Chelsea, and 89 minutes against Leeds. Total number of fouls, zero. So certainly an improvement there. Obviously, he's getting more used to the system. He's got better surroundings. And that was what we expected. You know, he's that type of player. Certain players can just come in and regardless of the system, they can shine a little bit. I suppose Thiago was a bit more reliant on teammates around, preventing with the platforms to thrive. I think Fabinho's a little bit like that. Nothing wrong with that. Um I think Liverpool are now able to give him that because of their, you know, the fitness availability of certain players in the squad and things and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing we have to touch on, Dave, one major negative 
Harvey Elliott. Um, I was gutted for him, I'll be honest. Um, really, really sad move, that one, for him to be out for. I mean, we don't know how long it's going to be. Supposedly a, a dislocated ankle that he's already had surgery on. But uh, really disappointing day for a, for a player who was really making waves. Yeah, yeah, you know, <clears throat> kind of such... I think we, me and Guy actually touched a bit on that, Elliot, last week because there was murmurs of him picking up and well he, I think he picked up a knock on international duty and come home early um, obviously at that stage we were pretty sure it was going to be nothing serious but it, it gave us an opportunity really just to talk about his impact on the team so far and then I think at the start of the season if you would have pointed out from I mean if we just put um, the sadness for the player to one side just look at it from a Liverpool point of view if you would have been talking about um, the blow losing Harvey Elliott to the starting eleven so soon uh like basically in the infancy of his Anfield career you'd be a little bit surprised but only four games in you have to say it is a huge blow because I think he's just completely kind of I wouldn't say he's transformed what's all because the right side is already a very good uh flank with Trent and Salah out there but he's definitely evolved um the threat out there you know he's, he's basically take taking it from maybe two-pronged to like a, a dangerous three-pronged attack and you mentioned before about uh, Mane getting a lot more efforts uh, benefiting almost from being on that opposite side and I think I think he's been a factor in that you know I think it, him bringing more players over there because of the danger he adds to that uh, dangerous two you know turns it to dangerous three you need more players to cope and as a result more space opens on the opposite flank and I think he was definitely playing on merit. It wasn't as if Klopp was putting him in there to do him a favour. He he was changing the team. He was making the team a lot stronger. Um, and I think Liverpool are definitely going to miss something not having them for these next few months. I do think it might only be a few, maybe till the new year, because I remember Andre Gomez having a similar injury and he was out for maybe five, six months. So, you know, hopefully second half of the season, he'll be, he'll be able to contribute again. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons it's going to be a shame is because, you know, the numbers he was posting were really, really strong. Um, I'm going to highlight them now, but it's it feels a little bit too early to be posting visits and things like that on numbers, hence why I haven't done it yet. But once 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 you get to kind of like, once players have started to play about 900 minutes, that, that you know, that equates to about 10 full matches, really, 10 full 90s, doesn't it? Um that's when you can start to really show, okay, this, these are the players that are doing this, these are the players that are doing this. So it is early days, but just looking at the numbers so far this season. So in terms of progressive passes, which we talk about a fair amount in this podcast, that's just those those players who just move the ball forward from A to B. Think Thiago, think Trent, that sort of thing. Uh, in the Premier League so far this season, Harvey Elliott ranks eighth overall for progressive passes with 26 now, one of the one of the most interesting things about that is a a lot of the players above them are defenders. Obviously, they start deeper than Harvey Elliott does. And b of all the players in the top thirty, only one player has played fewer minutes than Elliott. All the players above Elliott on this list in the top eight have played at least three point eight of the four full nineties that have been available. Harvey Elliott, for a bit of perspective, has only played 2.8 of the full 90s. So 
he's kind of a full 90 minutes behind everyone on this, well, most of the players in the top 30 for progressive passes. Yes, he still ranks eighth. So you kind of wonder, you know, if, if he was to continue playing as he was, if he was to get to that 1,000-minute mark, which we kind of hinted that he might hit, but to be honest, Dave, it was looking like he was going to go well beyond it. Yeah, uh, I think he was. starting against Chelsea yeah. and things, weren't he? So, yeah. But I think if, if he was to get to those numbers, it would have been really interesting to see where he was showing in the league for the likes of progressive passes and things in comparison to the likes of De Bruyne and Pogba and, you know, all these players who were, who were recognised as top performers. Hmm. I mean, I just want to reiterate the importance of the, the point you make about the centre-backs because, you know, they, they've got so much more... Well, I, there's no other way to articulate. They've got so much more space to progress into, haven't they? Where do you think of Elliot's starting position where he's normally receiving the ball? It, obviously, if, if think about it this way. The closer you get to the opposition's goal, the, the the success rate in terms of your passes just begins to dwindle because there's more, there's, there's less space and there's more defensive bodies in there. So for Elliot to be posting those numbers, rivaling players who start a lot deep, deep, deeper on the pitch... That in itself is a really key point and something that's worth highlighting again because it shows how well he's doing. Um, and yet, it would have been interesting because, as, as I said, he wasn't there just to... Klopp wasn't just putting him out there because he was a young lad who was, had a bit of buzz about him and he wants him to just get mates under his belt. I think he was genuinely improving the side um, and he will be a miss for that reason. Um, and... I don't think it'll upset the balance, obviously, because there's a lot of good players who come in and there's place in that position. Uh, but I don't think they all offer the same as as what he was offering. I don't think the profile there's a similar profile in the side. Maybe don't know what you think, Josh. Maybe do you think try and make a case for Jones? Although I don't think Jones looks like he's going to have a higher ceiling. Um, Cater tends to be more on the left, but maybe Cater because he can dribble a little bit. But Elliot's profile was just quite unique. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've I've said before, it, it he kind of does fit that Shakiri type mold, but while also offering much more defensive activity than Shakiri, and while also being more suited, in my opinion, to a midfield role. Whereas with Shakiri in midfield, in a sense of playing as an eight, you just felt a little bit like it was a bit of a risk with Elliot. Mm-hmm. Felt like a risk early on because of his age and stuff, but very quickly he showed that it was not a problem by any means. Um, just looking at those eight players above him. Seven players above him, sorry, for progressive passes. That, touching on what you've just said there, you know, being deeper players benefiting from progressive passes a little bit easier than players who are playing higher up, like the likes of Elliot. I'll just list them. So, you've got Luke Ayling, Yo Cancelo, Paul Pogba, Alexander-Arnold, Ruben Diaz, Ruben Neves, and Pablo Fornells. Now, out of all of those players... I suppose you've kind of only got Pablo Fornells and possibly Pogba who play higher up the field than Elliot does. A lot of them that have just listed the full-backs or centre-backs. So, again, it just captures what he was doing. And it's a big shame that he's that he's going to miss a few months now. Hopefully, he can get back for the business end of the season. But I think he's now... He, he is evidence why you don't just go and sign players immediately. He, he's evidence why... You have to wait. You have to see what you've got. He saved Liverpool. I mean, if you Liverpool was to go and buy that player, you know, a player as good as him, who's also homegrown, by the way, how much is that costing, Dave? You know, £40 million plus, that was £30 million plus or something like that. So he he's the reason 
that Liverpool didn't really, well, it could be a reason at least why Liverpool didn't go and buy a Wijnaldum replacement or a Shaqiri replacement or whatever. Because he was such a useful option. He was showing that before his injury. So, you know, we wish him all the best. Hopefully he'll come back fighting. Um, and look forward to seeing him on the pitch again. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. In terms of AC Milan, Dave, that is a proper 20 minute period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's become a really familiar trend, hasn't it, with Liverpool games, especially European games, Champions League nights that, you know, in the first. I mean, yesterday was on the whole a really good performance you know i'm not taking that away but just that first period just seems to blow no matter who the opposition is just seems to blow them away it just it's like they can't adjust initially and um tails are up fans are on side um i'm sure we'll touch touch on the shots in that period shortly but um i mean i had i was doing go on go on I was going to say, I was doing a little piece this morning um, and I couldn't help but notice that Milan managed three passes into Liverpool's defensive third across the whole 30 minutes, opening 30 minutes, um, which just kind of captures the, the, the sheer kind of dominance. Uh, couldn't let, they couldn't get out, constantly under siege, playing all the football in their half. You know, it was just relentless. Yeah, I mean, just, just touched on the shots there, I might as well say it now. Liverpool had 13 shots in the first 15 minutes. Now, I don't know about you, Dave. I, I don't know if I've seen that before. That That's mm. a ridiculous amount of shots to have. That's that's like a shot every <laughs> every minute and 10 seconds or something, isn't it? I mean, I'm not the best yeah. at maths but that, with that sort of thing on the spot, but that, that, I don't think I've seen that before. No, that's 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 a full ninety total. If if you would have thirteen shots on, that, say we were looking at just the numbers afterwards, and there was thirteen shots on the night, you probably would have said, "Sounds like a fairly decent Liverpool attacking performance there." But to have done the first quarter of an hour is insane, frankly. Yeah, it is. But it was important to get a goal in that time, though, wasn't it? Because as I said, it does. Teams tend to as, as the elite sides that we're talking about. You know, these Champions League teams. They do tend to weather the storm a little bit and just catch the breath after about half an hour. And I'm not sure if that's them finally adjusting or maybe Liverpool just having a breather. But I always think it's important in that period that the goals come, or at least one. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, But I think it goes back to that kind of age-old, almost cliche shout where when it comes to going to the likes of Anfield, specifically Gary Neville comes to mind when he says, get through the first 20 minutes. And I think that, was, that used to be a... At a, a kind of like a ploy of Ferguson's when when Ferguson used to come with United, um, and I suppose this kind of epitomised that it can, it can just be it can be a storm almost um, for the first twenty minutes while the crowd are up and everyone's everyone's up for it and stuff. But just for a bit of perspective on that thirteen shots. So last season, this is these this is averages, but last season Liverpool finished top of the Premier League with an average of 15.8 shots on a pair 90 basis. And only six teams averaged more than 13 on a pair 90 basis. Everybody else averaged 13 or less. So I, I don't even know why I'm saying pair 90. It's pair match, really, isn't it? Because I'm talking team numbers, yeah, and the season's mm-hmm. finished. 
So, say for example, you know, Arsenal, they averaged 12 shots per match last season in the Premier League. Spurs, 11.6 shots per match. Leicester, 12.4 shots. Everton, 10.4 shots. So, for Liverpool to take 13 in 20, in 15 minutes against AC Milan, who finished second in the Serie A last season, they're crazy numbers then. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Oh, by the way, I've just realised I got some stick. I, I said they finished fourth last season. I think the point I was trying to make was that the uh, performance performance metrics had them about the fourth or fifth best side. Obviously, I know they finished a little bit higher, but um, yeah, you know, one, one of City R's best sides and and they kind of couldn't really handle it, could they? It, it's, it's quite impressive to do them. I still, I mean, the thing is, and I said this last week, I still believe Liverpool... Uh, should have enough to beat AC Milan. I think this felt like a really big match in terms of the two names, you know, two two well-known names across Europe. In terms of team team by team, you know, 11 versus 11, I did fancy Liverpool, uh, but they obviously had quality. I thought their two goals were fantastic goals. I know people were picking at Trent and trying to point out the issues defensively, but I just thought they were really, really top-level goals that you see in the Champions League. Um, and sometimes can't always do much out. Um, so to kind of bounce back from that was was pretty impressive. No, I agree. I think I might be wrong in saying this, but I think it might have been their second goal in particular. It was really, really good. Lots of interchanging in tight spaces, I think, from what I can remember. Um but yeah, I mean, Liverpool conceded quick, conceded twice. Klopp spoken about it, it was pretty obvious. The gap between the midfield and the and defence became too big. I think Liverpool got a little bit carried away. Um, and you can get punished, I suppose. And I suppose that goes back to one of the one of my theories attached to football that, like, despite how good you perform, sometimes football can just come down to the team that finishes best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think in that first half, it kind of just it showed that really, you know, Liverpool took so many shots, but scored once and missed a penalty. And then Milan go down the opposite end. And even though Allison's had a great start of the season, Milan scored but their their only real two opportunities. So, but you know, another thing that goes back to Liverpool's shot count in that early period and supposed to the game is Liverpool started with with Divock <laughs> and as opposed to Firmino and as opposed to Mane, who were a bit more you know, dangerous, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, Van Dijk was on the bench as well. I know Van Dijk's a centre-back, but because of his attacking qualities, you know, think of those long diagonals, those balls over the top, the set-piece threat. Van Dijk had to be, I think, to Liverpool's shot count. So for Liverpool to be so dangerous and offer such a, a storm in, in the early phases, um, you know, without Van Dijk, without Mane, and without Elliot now, you could probably say, I suppose it, I think for me, it kind of captures how good Liverpool still are, I think is what I'm, what I'm going to get at. And this is why I never really throughout the summer felt that worried about this lack of science thing. People forget how good Liverpool are as a team and what just the level of the squad that has been built. This is a ridiculous squad This in terms of, specifically in terms of maybe the starting 13, it, it, it really top players. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I thought uh, I thought Fabinho done really well last night. Actually, uh, when you when you kind of talking about protecting the centre back duo with 
uh, without Van Dyke. You know, I've, I mean, the, the thing is, you say protect. That's the wrong term because the two of them in there are, are, are top centre backs. We've already talked about that matter. Obviously, Gomez is returning, but you know, Gomez is top centre back. Um, and you've got you've got Canati in there who hasn't even played yet, has he really? Um, you you've got depth in that position all of a sudden, and I agree. For, you know, maybe like the four, 14, the first fourteen players uh, would probably get in most sides. Uh, well, probably. Yeah, and you know, if you forget tactics for the minute, and yeah, and most of those players will get invaded every side in the Premier League, and then most in Europe as well. The Origi thing was a big surprise for me, I'll be honest. Um, but dare to say, and I'm not bringing them back to life in terms of squad, but dare to say, I thought he'd done quite well actually. Um, I was going to say that myself. Yeah, he 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 don't. I'm still not changing any long term um, thoughts with him. I still don't think he's good enough. I think if you try to rely, rely on him on a more consistent basis, he, he he might not be able to do it. But you know, from a nineteen kind of ninety minute performance, yeah, or that, you know, a one off performance, I thought he done really well. Well one thing I suppose I might have forgot a little bit with Rigi is his ability to kind of mix his physicality because he's quite he's quite a big striker, quite a presence. But he's also quick as well. Um, and you, you don't get... That's quite a valuable mix that you don't really get that often. Players like Lukaku obviously do it to a ridiculous level. Haaland is doing it to a ridiculous level when it comes to matching those two qualities. But most strikers usually, they're either a, a big lad and a slow or the quick and the short. That's usually how it goes really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But Rigi's got a decent blend of both. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have thought that he hasn't played for... I don't know how long, to be honest. You wouldn't have thought that, you know, in the, in the previous game, he didn't even make the bench, I don't think, against Leeds. So, yeah, I think he's, you know, I don't think he's good enough for Liverpool, but I think he, I do think he's good enough for the Premier League. I think he's a Premier League player. Mm. I think this is a reminder why, you know, people were so desperate to force him out over the summer, summer and kind of fed into the narrative that the, it being a bad window for not getting rid of him. But, it just it didn't really make much sense to force it, did he? Obviously, have a really good offer coming fine, but it didn't sound like a great offer, did? And you now he's come in and done it and done a good job against the you know a top opponent. Um, and you know even if those if that's only going to be another four or five times between now and January or whatever, um, it, it would have been worth keeping him. Yeah, I just but I just think. Um... I think that performance, in fact, no, the two performances over the past week against Leeds and against Milan, I, I think they, they perfectly captured why recruiting for Liverpool now is A, so hard maybe, and B, why it just it just doesn't need to be forced in a way because the, the players that Liverpool have bought over the years, they've been such... Hits and the players Liverpool have got are so good in their position. Why would you accept a, a dip in quality now just for the sake of adding another body to the squad? Because apparently Minamino's not good enough and, and Arigi's not good enough and stuff. So if you look at Liverpool's team over the past couple of days, you know, Alisson, Trent Alexander Arnold, Joel Mazzup, Joe Gomez, Andy Robertson, Jordan Henderson, Fabinho. Mo Salah, Diego Jota, uh, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane. These are 
top, top players. And if Liverpool were to go and sign, say, for example, like a few of the players I think we've touched on on this pod, they've been good and they've been Liverpool types. But I have wondered whether they're still, whether the Liverpool good though, whether the Liverpool quality, if you know what I mean. Like, say, for example, Daniel Marlon. We spoke about him a fair bit on the pod and that. We, we both flagged him and think good player, exciting player, lots of nice attacking qualities to his game. But I, th- I do think you can pose the question at him, but, but is he good enough for Liverpool? Same with the likes of, you know, our, our Pats and Dacher and players like that. Are they good enough for Liverpool? Liverpool's level is so high. Liverpool should just be in a position now because of the strength of the squad. Only add players, in my opinion, who are either ridiculous or going to be ridiculous. Like Thiago, for example, already ridiculous. So fine, he can get added. Jose, gonna be ridiculous. Canate, gonna be ridiculous. You see what I mean? It's, uh, but yeah, just... no, I, I do. Yeah, I think the the issue they they have though is the 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 best, the premium, come at a, a cost, don't they? And that model isn't really what Liverpool have been have been working on. No, in terms of paying, though, that's super. You know, you Mbappe monies and things, but then those kind of top. 0.1% plays uh, attract that fee, unfortunately. So that, I guess maybe that's why Liverpool find themselves a little bit in a stalemate sometimes or a bit of a middle ground. And that you're right, you don't want to make a load of sideways transfers. And what I mean by that is, you know, things that don't improve, they just kind of bring in what you've already got. You don't want to make a lot of sideways transfers. But, but then- I, 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 I think a lot of the li- names who were linked, though, rather than being sideways, I think they've there's a slight threat there that will be, you know, almost like that. Just a, a little bit, not sideways, just a little tiny bit downwards almost. And if you make a few of them, you, you end up doing basically what Arsenal have done and have just replaced player after player with players who are less proven, less proven, less proven, less proven. And now they're in a position where they've just they're finished eighth two consecutive seasons. No one's bat- batted neither. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when it comes to Liverpool... I've always said Liverpool should be behaving like an, an elite club at the top table. Um, and I, although it's difficult to get these players, because as you mentioned there, they, they usually premiums attached to them. If you look at what Liverpool spent on Fabinho, uh, Canate, Jota, Salah, Mane, I think you can still aim to find that, even though it's getting harder and harder. I think you can still aim for these top players for around forty million, rather than paying the likes of seventy and eighty, like like some clubs are willing to. Mm. Um, but I think Liverpool, are, I think it's it's getting trickier to do that again, just because of our opponents getting smarter and things like that. But whereas United will go and get a Sancho, and Liverpool will go and get a Jota instead, I think Liverpool can keep doing that, but just don't force it because again, this this squad's ridiculous. So, in my opinion. Go and invest, of course. Go and, go and improve the squad, but only do it by getting players who are, who are pretty certain to be the level that you currently are or higher. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I just think again, it's just uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's just it feels so much harder now because uh, we've said it already. But other top teams seem to be recruiting quite well as well, and um, even when they're not, they spend a little bit more money. Um, but I think you look back on the window now, and you, you now it was settled into a few games, aren't we? What well, four games in plus a Champions League game? I think people who might have been a little bit more vocal in the disapproval of what happened over the summer, 
may be a little bit more settled now, might and realising like this team is actually really good. You know, with key players back, it's as good as it was two seasons ago. Um, so maybe we didn't need to bring an X, Y, and Z straight away, and we're, we're going to be okay for now. Um, it'd be interesting, you know, if anyone would own up to feeling like that at the moment, or if they're still looking ahead. Oh, sorry, looking back on the summer, thinking it was this disaster that it was painted at on deadline day. I, I think a lot will feel like that because I think people are inclined to look at what a team looks like on paper, maybe. Um, and I think sometimes they can forget just how good the team is in, in practice on the field. Um, and when Liverpool are on the pitch and they've got the full 11 out, Jürgen Klopp on a touchline, 50,000 plus Liverpool fans in the stadium, it's a serious force to be reckoned with. Um, and I think Liverpool. I think Liverpool will be seriously challenging for both the Premier League and the Champions League, which is where you want to be, in my opinion. That's that's what that's where you want to be. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. To get to that Premier League title, Liverpool next have Crystal Palace. Dave, for the first time. We are able to preview a game against Crystal Palace without just talking about the standard Roy Hodgson Crystal Palace that everybody knows inside out. Mm. So, Pasek Vieira, new recruitment uh, policy by the looks of things. What do you make of what they're doing? Yeah, you know, re- results hadn't been going their way initially in the season, but a uh, big win against Tottenham. I know it was against 10 men, but still a really good result. Um, and they look okay. They do look all right. You know, I think this was against Roy's Palace then. You know, you'd be kind of back in a really comfortable um, Liverpool win. I mean, I had a quick look and Palace have lost the last eight Premier League games against Liverpool by an aggregate scoreline of 24 to 5. So, you know, it's it's been so dominant against, against his side. But, yeah, it's a little bit different now, isn't it? Um, I'm not saying I don't fancy Liverpool. I still massively do, especially with the game being at Anfield. Um, but, you know, the Palace haven't conceded a ton of shots so far. They look a bit stronger defensively. I thought they recruited quite well. Um, and they just look a little bit fresher as a side and um, a little bit more of an unknown quantity. So, just to be honest, I still don't 100% know what we're going to get. Yeah, same a little bit, really. I think if I was to look at the underlying numbers so far of the season, I mean, again, it's early days, but if I was to look at the numbers of the season, I wouldn't think, I, I would think Hodgson was still there, I think. Um, if you look at their number of shots this season, they've taken 37, which is the joint second lowest in the league. Top for a bit of perspective is Liverpool on 100. So just Palace. on that, Josh, can I just tell you? I found this. I thought it was dead interesting. Uh, yeah. That apparently, since wait, let me see, because I made a note of this. Um, yeah, so, so since two thousand three, two thousand four, Liverpool are only the second team to have a hundred shots in the first four Premier League games, which I think is a you know yeah. paints a very good picture, doesn't it? Considering who they play, Chelsea, Leeds, etc. Yeah, it's very interesting. The, the, the only issue with that one is Liverpool have obviously, it's hard to put a number on how much Liverpool have benefited from the sending-offs that Chelsea and Leeds have suffered. So maybe there's been a bit, little bit of a kick when it comes to that, but I wouldn't say there's been too much. I think even without that, Liverpool will probably still be the top top shooters in the league. Yeah. Um, in terms of the expected goals, Palace is vaguely similar. 
Um, I think they move up two places when it comes to XG. But I think if you watch them, they, they do look to have a bit more about what they're doing in terms of their attacking game. I actually think uh, I saw a comment from Wilfred Zahar, actually. Um, might have been up on the back of the Spurs game. And he basically said that now we basically have a plan. That was kind of what he said um, in attack rather than just lumping it forward, he said. Mm. Um, which obviously doesn't paint Roy in the in the best way. Um, but as you say, defensively, again, similar to Hodgson, they do seem quite well drilled. They've got a few different players in there. Mark Way, he's come in, who we touched on recently from Chelsea. Good centre-back. And Anderson as well who obviously captained Fulham last season while on loan. Good players. Um, but I think I think Liverpool will probably be too strong for them, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I have to agree with you. Um, and what's kind of drifted under the radar, um, again, I'm not trying to be a stat man here, but it's just things that I think people are kind of overlooking is, you know, Liverpool have basically been, you know, we include the back, the back end of last season, start of this, now, they've got the longest league unbeaten run in England's top four divisions, going 14 games without a loss. Now, I was quite surprised at that because you, you kind of recall that period where they seem to be getting beat every week. Um, but, you know, they've well and truly buried that. And I just think that that obviously breeds so much confidence, getting positive results after positive results. Um, I think as a team, Liverpool are so much stronger. They're clearly flat, firing, firing, sorry, on all cylinders, um, creating a ton of chances. And I just think for that reason, I don't see how Palace stop Liverpool this weekend. Um, Anfield like feels like the Anfield of old as well, with the fans back in. Um, you know, a fortress again, and everything for me is just pointing towards quite a comfortable Liverpool victory. Um, I mean, you've got players like Firmino who can. Um, is Firmino available actually? So, like, but Van Dijk, Van Dijk comes back in, doesn't he? I'm not sure if Firmino's going to be fit, but you can you bring Van Dijk back into that side. Mane, um, Mane, yeah, it's just yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really really uh, good afternoon. If I, I don't want to jinx it, but I just think it will. I think it'll be a comfortable uh, victory for the Bills. Yeah, I mean, in Palace's defence, I think it is early days, and obviously they tried a few years back to um, to kind of transition towards a different style of play but he just did it wrong in my opinion mm-hmm. they, they kept the squad virtually the same made a few not that great signings from players like um from players my ex i think it was maybe and frank the ball came in and started to just change everything at once and it just didn't really work whereas if you kind of do it gradually by adding players who can still play your way that you're trying to get rid of, but can also play this new way, but like Brighton have done. Mm-hmm. I think you will do better. And I think Patrick Vieira, I don't know, I must admit, I don't know that much about him in, in a coaching perspective. Um, obviously, he took charge of Nice. I was in charge, I think, in New York as well for the City group. But I don't know specifically what his approach is in terms of, you know, counter-attack and possession-based football, counter-pressing and all this. I'm not really too sure what his identity is. I do like how he's used specifically Conor Gallagher, though, Dave. I think he's going to be a bit of a problem for Liverpool because he's yeah. kind of been... He's on loan from Chelsea, big prospect, 21 years old. But he's kind of being used a little bit in a Lampard mould, I think I would probably say, 
similar to a the box to box box to box version of Wine Album as well. I would probably say, in terms of just arriving late and joining the attack. So far this season, he scored two and assisted one from midfield, and as expected, numbers are decent. Few tap-ins and things. So, I think that late arriving player is is a problem for defenses a lot of the time, and I think. If Liverpool are going to concede any kind of threat, obviously they've got Edward as well, who's just scored two on his debut. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Gallagher will have to be a player who gets tracked because he seems to make good off the ball runs. I think. Yeah, look, he's a good player. Um, obviously, he had a, a year um, with I think it was West Brom, wasn't it last year? So he's he's had a year of playing Premier League football. Got another good low move, uh, a bit more of a step up, going to Palace, um, a team we probably I don't think will be in the relegation battle so he'll have more of a kind of being a mid-table setup. and yeah he's a player like that I've, I've saw him a couple times at um, 23 level uh, for Chelsea and he, he, he looked good there as well um, looks a very versatile midfielder um, I think he's had a good start at Palace for the reasons you just stated so yeah he, he is one to watch Edward's quite an interesting one because you know when you do start life well at your new club you tend to be full of confidence, a little bit dangerous. So um, he's always been a player who I think has a pretty high ceiling, certainly higher than what, he, what what Celtics was. Good move for him, good move for Palace. And um, he probably is a, someone who can cause a few issues if, it, if the pool aren't careful this weekend. Just looking a little bit deeper now into Palace's defensive numbers, they're, they're better than I thought they were, actually. Um, obviously, it's early days. This kind of thing gets impacted a lot by the fixtures certain teams have had. But Palace have not the easiest start, I don't think. And so far, they are fourth in the league for expected goals faced, excluding penalties. Um, City, obviously the best. They don't allow very much at all. Followed by Wolves, who are much improved, I think, under Bruno Large or Lango, whatever they call. Um, and then put them Brentford. Uh, so... Again, it's it's probably going to change as the season goes on. Liverpool will probably climb higher. Chelsea will probably climb higher. Um, but yeah, at the, not a bad start of the season for Palace. So I find this one a bit of a bit of a tricky one to predict, Dave. I think Liverpool will have enough to win, but I I don't I don't overly know whether this will be not so much a walk in the park or or it will be one that we kind of have to grind a little bit. What what are we saying prediction wise on this one? Yeah, so I'm I'm a little bit more in the in it being a comfortable game for Liverpool. I mentioned before, um, not because I know everything about this Palace side. As I said, I, I think they are quite unpredictable. But I just think the form Liverpool are in, you'd have to be a really good side to stop them at the moment. I mean, AC Milan were a good side, and obviously I know the scoreline was quite tight, but performance-wise, it was a it was quite a good victory, wasn't it? Um, to say the least. So. For that reason, I do expect Liverpool to, to have way too much for, for Palace. But uh, I think they could be an interesting side to watch throughout the season and see how they progress. But I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go 2-0. Nothing too extreme. 2-0, I'll go. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 as well. I, th- I don't think Liverpool will concede with Van Dijk back in the team. Um, I think Palace's attack is still a work in progress. And a lot of their attacking players, their attacking talent... Haven't they haven't yet made an impact in the first eleven? I think Elise was on the bench in the last game. Edward was obviously on the bench until he came on. Um, 
who's the lad who's injured, Dave? Come in last season. Eze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from um, Reading. Yeah. Oh, QPR. QPR, sorry, yeah. QPR, yeah. yeah. Eze's injured. So I think they're still starting with the likes of Christian Benteke up front and stuff. So I think in attack, I would expect Liverpool to keep a clean sheet. Sorry, in defence, I expect Liverpool to keep a clean sheet. I think in attack, again, Palace are a little bit of an unknown quantity at the minute, but they look so far decent, which is why I'm going for a 2-0 rather than a 3 or a 4 or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep it keep it level there. They even go for a 2-0 win. Um, but, yeah, I think we'll leave it there, mate. Um, Dave, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you, mate. Cheers. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. See you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.